Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. We are talking about the gift of prophecy. And when we talk about the things of the Holy Spirit, there's a reverence that's required. You know, the reason why God the Father demonstrated the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus when he came out of the water as a dove is because a dove as a bird is very sensitive. We have, no matter what house we move into, we always have doves that come and live at our house. Not in the house, but in the trees around our house. We don't have pet doves or anything. It's an indicator of his presence. And the Holy Spirit's presence is to be honored. The Holy Spirit is a presence and it's to be honored. And the way that we honor, I know some of y'all are new. I've been doing this for 60 years. I've been walking in the prophetic and in his presence. And I will protect his presence no matter what. I'm not trying to offend anyone new. But the Holy Spirit has an order. And my job as the orchestrator of a corporate service is to make sure we stay in order. And that allows the Holy Spirit to have a lot of room. You know, when the dove came and descended on Jesus, if Jesus had been flailing around in the water like crazy, it would have been a demonstration, right? Because the dove would have, I'm sure, as a bird, flown away, right? It's the same way with our hearts. So I want us to position our hearts today. One of the things that the enemy does in a service like this is he begins to come in and makes you not like certain things. I don't like it how that happened. I don't like how you did that. Or you didn't stay there long enough. You didn't sing that long enough. Or it's too loud or it's too hot or too cold. Or I mean, in this room, if I took a poll, there would be people in here saying it was hot. People in here saying it was cold. That's a spirit. It's just right for the Holy Spirit. This is the temperature he likes. When I get so fixated on my own personal likes and dislikes, I miss it. And this word today is to release us into something in the future. You don't even have to know what it all means today to believe and receive it. My job as a prophetic leader is to help the prophetic people release their words and then to administer it later. So in other words, there will be more instruction come from the words that we receive. And so God says that if you honor a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. Now, Cece doesn't say she's a prophet. She would never, ever say that. She's a double introvert, and she's a childlike, and she's a highly sensitive person at HSP. All of those things don't go along with this word if you just look at it in the natural. But there is a thing that comes up within a person that supersedes all their past and personality. And the, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit that is, begins, I call it the unction, the, the function. The Holy Spirit needs to put an unction in us to function. And... I want us to show her respect that I believe that she's due. You know, we were we um, are working on a book that we've been working on for a while called The Garden. And um, we it's been in the making for several years. And 
you know, when we were looking over the material, there's over eight, you know how she writes prolifically. She has over 860 things that she's written, but she had over a hundred about the garden. And so right now God is releasing seed into your garden. Now you may be all weedy. You know, weeds come from our fears, comes from our disappointment, comes from church, really. Let's be honest. You know, I've been in church all my life, and the greatest thing I had to get over to even be anything that God wanted me to be was what people in church told me, all those lovely people. Now, Chrissy wasn't raised in church. She was raised by an atheist, so she didn't have any of that. So she's not a churchy person. I'm so thankful that she doesn't suffer from the religious spirit. And all those who have the religious spirit say amen, right? So today's her 50th birthday. And that's a big deal for her. And 50 in the worldly version of it, oh, excuse me, thought I had untied my shoe, um, means gold. And I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say to her that God is, God is jobing you, not jobbing you, but that he is, um, he, this word comes from a refined place in your heart that you haven't been able to see the refining the way he's seen it. And he just wanted me to remind all of us today that when gold is passed out, it's valuable. And so let's just put our hands on our hearts, can we? Just close our eyes. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me make room in my garden for this word. And just think for a second, if you can ask the Holy Spirit, say, is there any distraction? You don't have to repeat this, but is there any distractions in my heart right now that would keep me from hearing your word? Now, if he's released something to you, just say to that, just speak to that distraction. Say, I say the distraction of I'm hot or whatever it is. Say, just tell it to go. Just run underneath your breath. You don't have to make a big deal about it. So I just speak to those distractions right now to go in the name of Jesus. They're from the enemy because you came here today because God got you up out of bed and got you dressed and brought you here. That's why you're here today. You didn't come here out of your own decision the reason you're here today is because he told you to come here today. This is a divine appointment by the Holy Spirit. So I just release our hearts to receive it in Jesus' name. Come on, Cece. Wow, thank you. Oh. Look at his glory shining on all of your faces. Wow. I am richly blessed. Richly blessed. Wow. It is, has been an incredible day. And, you know, I thought 50 would be weirder. It still sounds really odd. But honestly, I feel like I've just been reborn. Like, and... <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I'll have to explain it to you later. But I literally in the in the green room earlier, I said, well, I'm 50 and free. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. 50 and free. There is just something that happens, you know, I don't know. But anyways, it's amazing. God's doing cool stuff. It happens. Yeah. 
So, um, okay, so I kind of have a lot to co cover today. Thank you, Tisa, for setting that up really well and for praying to clear the way for this word. I felt, I, I, did, I got up yesterday and I was just going to spend some time, you know, sweet time with the Holy Spirit, read my Bible outside. It was a little cooler in the morning, which I love to sit outside. So I just sat down to spend some time with him. And very quickly into it, all of a sudden, I, the Holy Spirit just showed me this verse in a brand new light. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's talking about us. This verse in Matthew is talking about us, meaning this house. Really, it means for all of God's people, whether you're a part of this house or not. But this is the body of Christ that he was speaking to at this point in time. And so what I would, I would say that he started to do was sort of stitch together prophetically different things that he's been saying over our house for a while now. And it just kind of came into full view. And then it expanded even, even beyond that. And so I want to take you through um, what he showed me yesterday. And so it all started yesterday when, when I read, I was reading in Matthew and it, in verse 6 in the Passion Translation, Matthew 2, 6, it says, And you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people, Israel. You, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people, Israel. So if you were here on Wednesday, I released a prophetic word then that was talking about the childlike heart being a giant, right? Let me just read a couple of snippets from that word. I would love to read all of it, but we would, we would run out of time. And so here's a snippet. He said, I am calling my children to rise in this light. I'm calling my children to speak up for what is right. The stand you take reaches farther than you think. Remember, the battle is not against flesh and blood. My spirit warriors are waiting to hear your choice. What you choose in the quiet place resounds through the heavens. Armies are released at the sound of your choosing. Who will stand? Who will speak? They will be the ones to watch the giants fall. They will be the ones causing kingdoms to turn. It is their authority on this earth that will crush evil underfoot like a grasshopper, right? Like a locust, crushing it under my foot. And he said, so he went on to say, so don't cower in your present battle. Do not dismiss its relevance. Do not dismiss its relevance. My kingdom advances on the foundation I'm building in the hearts of men. And so he went on to say, and this is when I was writing back to him, I said, Papa, you're saying that my one voice, my one choice, releases a war cry in the heavens. You're saying that my battle is not proof of my defeat or of my missing the mark of victory, but instead it's evidence of my effectiveness. You're saying that I have qualified, not been dismissed, that I have stepped onto the battlefield proven worthy of the status of heavenly warrior, that a childlike heart is a giant in the spirit. So that word made the word in this uh, verse about not insignificant jump out at me because I felt like that you could summarize the word one of the messages in that word from Wednesday was that he's saying hey you're not insignificant you're not missing the mark you don't have to battle in this way and and so that you can reach the battlefield of advancing my kingdom you are on the battlefield of advancing my kingdom and so your battle and your 
um, where you're at in your present life is not insignificant. And so I was like, whoa, that sounds just like this word. You little Bethlehem. Little, you know, sounds like childlike, sounds like a little child, right? Little Bethlehem are not insignificant. And so right away, like I said, the Holy Spirit just filled my mind with this light. And I was like, whoa, what's in here? So we went, I went to look a little further and I looked up what Bethlehem meant. It happens that in the previous chapter, Brian Simmons had already provided it in a footnote. Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. So what have we been on lately, right? They will be like bread to us. The giants in the land will be like bread to us. We've, um, I talked about this not too long ago. It's been a common thing because that, that of course, was the proclamation um, prior to entering the promised land in Canaan, like the dream I had. So prior to entering the promised land, 10 out of the 12 spies came back and said, there are giants in that land and we are grasshoppers in their eyes, right? He, they focused on, I loved Tisa's message that talked about that, focusing on they mind read and thought, that they knew what those people saw when they looked at them. So they said, well, we are like grasshoppers. And Joshua and Caleb were like, no, there are giants, but they will be like bread for us. They will be nourishment for us. They will actually fuel our victory in the promised land. So the thing that we call a giant, God says, is actually food for us. It's nourishment and it's fuel to take our territory and so, of course, I don't know if you remember this, but a few months ago, I, can't, I think it might have actually been in February of this year, I shared another little um, correlation that I had seen in Scripture about locusts and that John the Baptist, you know, fed only on locusts. And so there was a footnote in uh, Mark 1.6, the footnote in the Passion Translation, that says that locusts, or grasshoppers, are an emblem of intimidation, that will keep believers from taking their inheritance by faith. It's an emblem of intimidation. Israel thought themselves to be like grasshoppers in their own eyes because of the intimidation of the fierce inhabitants of the land. John the Baptist arrives on the scene and makes locusts his food, eating up the symbol of intimidation, devouring the devourer. And so I was correlating there, this theme of bread is huge, right? The theme of the locusts, will, the, the intimidation will be food for us, is what John the Baptist modeled, and the giants will be like bread to us. And then, of course, Jesus says he's the bread. And so I think we are full of bread. Like, we've got lots of bread around us, whether it's what Jesus has already done or the enemy that you're facing on your present battle. You've got all the fuel and nourishment you need, all of it will be turned for good. That's what the scripture says. All of it will be turned for your good. And so this idea of Bethlehem, meaning house of bread, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, that's us. That is this house. We are a house of bread. We are a house of bread who makes the giant, the giants in our land bread, and we feed on the bread of Jesus, and we become bread for others who are in need of that kind of leading and that kind of counsel. So we are a house of bread, house of bread. Isn't that cool? Bethlehem, house of bread. And so that it also, however, means house of fighters. House of fighters. All the battle readies are like, whoo, right? Awesome. 
Jesus fulfilled both aspects of the meaning of Bethlehem. And he fought the Goliath of our souls in one, becoming bread for the world. So however you look at it, right, Bethlehem is a house of bread, a house of fighters. And of course, we just had this word. The word on Wednesday was about saying, rise up. You are a fighter. You are fighting for the kingdom of God to advance. You are fighting to overthrow darkness in the world. You are significant in the spirit realm. You are significant in the supernatural warfare that is going on. God is saying, you're significant for what I'm doing on the earth right now. And so that's us. And it just resonates within me as the whole purpose of this house, which we are so thankful. Aren't we so thankful that, that Tisa knew, had the vision years and years before most of you were born even, years and years ahead of time had the vision for what this house would be. And more, the more I learn and the more that he awakens me and the more revelation I get, I'm astounded that she knew it so far in advance because it is for such a time as this in this current day and time in our country in the world all that's going on that we exist it makes perfect sense and i can see his divine design and his planning in that so we are the house of bread house of fighters and so um we have little bethlehem meaning bread not insignificant the childlike heart don't dismiss its relevance and another part of that verse, it says, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people. Now, we know that on the surface level, the literal meaning of this word is prophesying of what that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So out of Bethlehem, Jesus, the shepherd king of my people, would be born. But of course, scripture is more than just literal, right? There's a depth to it. And I felt like his message was saying, reminding reminding us that he has said, my kingdom is advancing in you, in us. Our king, His kingdom advances in the hearts of men, first and foremost. And so how do you cover the earth with the how you know him? The Habakkuk verse, Habakkuk 2, 14, I think it is. How do you cover the earth with, the, with how you know him, with his glory? By carrying his glory. Like we sang about today, you cover the earth with his glory by being his glory, letting his glory shine through you. So his kingdom advances in that covering by in us. And so he's been on that with me for a while now, and I wanted to read another um, little snippet of a word that he gave me in February of this year where it became more clear to me. And I I was writing at this point in my word, and I said, I know you're building, you're building your kingdom in me. And it started to take more shape for me at that point. I said, I'm no longer content to live on breadcrumbs left for me when you have planted kingdom seeds of divinity in me. I'm no longer content to live only on the high of a momentary exposure to the supernatural life. No, you have a plan and a purpose in me. You've hidden your very kingdom in me. You think about that? The kingdom of God is hidden inside you. Every single person, every person, every person. No one is disqualified. No one has missed it. Every single person. Kingdom seeds are hidden in us. You've called me your garden and filled me with your seeds, seeds that hold the keys to your kingdom advancing. For such a time as this, you've hidden your heart, your home, blueprints of your kingdom throne. Let them be known. Let them be known. Let them be seen in me by all the world around me. 
Your kingdom is advancing. It's advancing in me to advance through me. Your gift to me was far more than peace. Your gift to me was far more than a spectator's seat. Your gift to me is the ever-expanding, ever-advancing kingdom of God in me. And see, this just flies right in the face of that religious spirit because the religious spirit says, doesn't really matter what's going on inside of you, just go out and do a bunch of works. Just go out and evangelize and pray for people and even, you know, perform miracles, whatever it is. Do all that, but your inner world doesn't matter. That's that flies in the face of religion because the kingdom of God isn't going to advance by all those outer works. It's only going to advance by what's in our heart. And so out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people. Because we know, right, as Christians, we know that we are meant to be the body of Christ. We are meant to be all the aspects of Jesus on earth at this point in time right? So we are meant to, so out at the in Matthew, originally it means out of Bethlehem, Jesus will emerge, the shepherd king of my people. But he's saying now out of you, Jesus will emerge. Out of us, out of, out of the house of bread, that's not insignificant. Jesus will emerge to shepherd and be king of his people. And so that is us. And I just pray that this will be an, an not only a motivating and encouraging, but it would just be entrenched within you and grip you from inside to know the identity of this house and what you have an opportunity to be a part of. It's so significant, so significant. So um, I also had a Ephesians 2, 6 through 7. I'll just read verse 7. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. We have got to get this, right? I know we all have healing that we have to go through, and he loves that journey. He loves to heal us. He loves to to heal every single wound and minister to us and nurture to us in the way that we need it. But we are the visible display of his richness, And so that's why, again, it flies in the face of religion, because here in this house and others around the world that are that know this truth, it's so important to have that ministry of the heart, to to have that personal restored relationship with him. So because that is how the kingdom advances and comes through. And so um, I, I wrote here that we are going to be we are a house that devours the intimidation, holding people back from taking territory in their promised land. We are called to be a house that fights for freedom in the hearts of God's people and advances the kingdom of God. And so the other beautiful thing about this is that as you go through your own personal healing in your own journey, you are already advancing the kingdom. Like it's not a linear progression that you go through on this journey with him. And that's just a brilliant part of his design. And so I was curious because I could tell the way that this Matthew verse about Little Bethlehem was written, I could tell it was a quote from somewhere in the Old Testament. And so I looked it up, and it's, a quote, it's quoted from Micah in, verse, in chapter 5 about Little Bethlehem. So I got curious, and I was wondering, well, what's going on in this point in the Scripture? What's going on? And I discovered an entire narrative for our why, if you need to know, again, how relevant our why is in this world right now. Okay, so I'm going to go back to Micah 1, and I've got a few verses to share with you. I'm going to bring you all the way up to that point. It paints such a clear picture to me. 
So in Micah 1, the beginning of the setting is that um, they are, there are two capital cities at that point in time, Israel and Judah, Samaria and Jerusalem. And so the northern kingdom of Israel, um, sometimes called Samaria, is the capital city, and it was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. The southern kingdom of Judah, where Micah lives, I'm reading in the voice, by the way, um, where Micah lives has been spared that fate, but at a high price. The people have lost the power to govern themselves. They pay huge tributes to the Assyrians, and they allow the corruption of their religious practices because of the Assyrians' influence. Okay? This is a picture of our present day, especially in America, and but really all over the world. Are we still, we haven't been conquered in an official sense. We don't have a different flag flying on the flagpole, you know, but our culture has been corrupted by the influence of evil forces, basically, that have just been allowed to exist. And the presence of those will have an influence. It's not escapable. And so I liken us to the southern kingdom of Judah and that's who God is speaking to in Micah, is that we, are, we live in a world right now that has just been influenced by evil, and there's no way to deny it. You, I mean, it's so much is being exposed right now that um, and I think it's just going to continue to be exposed. But So we can really relate to what's going on here. And so Mike, in Micah, in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Listen, all of you people, pay attention, okay? This is to us, again, relevant scripture to us right now. Pay attention, earth and all upon it. The eternal Lord gives, gives evidence against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. Look at this. The eternal is leaving his home in heaven, and he is coming down to walk over the high places of the earth. That is today. That is happening right now. There's more and more prophets that have said that around 2012, 2013, the kingdom age of God began. There's something in the timeline of God's plan said that now is the time I'm overcoming evil and my kingdom age and my people will begin to reign and all the wealth of the nations will be turned over to the children of God. All the influence and the power will be turned over to the children of God as his kingdom advances on this earth. So we are privileged to live at this point in time. This is what's happening. The eternal is leaving his home in heaven, and he is coming down to walk over the high places of the earth. Now, high places, what, of course, does that make you think of? Mountains, right? The high places are mountains. And so we've talked around here before about the um, seven mountains of culture. Johnny Enlow has several books. Their whole ministry is all about that. And uh, Lance Wallnow simultaneously got the same revelation without knowing each other years and years ago that there were seven mountains of influence in our culture. Okay. I don't, I'll see if I can remember them all. There's uh, um, arts and entertainment, media, um, education, the economy, government, family. Which one did I leave out? Religion. Yeah, I think it's religion. That's it. I think we got them. Yeah. So seven mountains of influence. And of course, that um, what is being taught there and what is that revelation said that there are seven mountains and these three seven mountains that these are the things that influence culture. So just like we said here about 
the southern kingdom, those mountains have been dominated by evil influences because Christians were fed a load of crap, so to speak. Um, just call it what it is, right? About just sit back and wait for the rapture and we just let the whole world, the evil just advance its agenda. And so we're waking up now and realizing, oh my gosh, what have we been doing? The evil, and I'm calling it evil, you know, people don't aren't knowingly saying, well, I'm evil, but they're influenced. If you're not serving God, you're serving the devil. It's just, there's only the two, right? So if you're not serving God, you're furthering the devil's kingdom instead of God's kingdom. And so people on the tops of the mountains and the leadership of those places of those mountains of culture have been influenced and in really furthering um, the enemy's kingdom rather than God's kingdom. And that has influenced our culture. So God is saying that he is coming down to walk over the high places of the earth. He's walking over the high places of the earth. Verse four says the mountains will melt beneath his feet. The valleys will burst open like wax next to a raging fire as water pours from the heights. Okay, such a cool picture, such a cool picture. Johnny Enlow says that he was told directly by the Lord that God was going to remove the mafia from the tops of the mountains. And that's what we're saying here. That's exactly what we're saying. So going on to chapter two, first verse says, beware. For disaster is coming to those who plan wickedness, who lie on their beds plotting evil. When morning shines on them, they carry out their plan simply because they have the power to do so. So what did, what did we just say? We just let them have the power. Those who are planning wickedness, we've let them have the power because as Christians who actually, you know, God, Jesus died, went to death, hell, and the grave, got the keys back, came back, gave them to us. We are the ones with authority all over the earth. We are the ones with authority. And so, but we haven't, we haven't executed our authority. We haven't operated it with any authority. And so we just let them have the authority. And so, again, you know, again, this is not, we do not battle against flesh and blood. I'm talking about spirits, not people, okay? And there are people who are unknowingly, they're blinded to knowing that they're partnering with being used by evil spirits. So um, this, they have the power simply because they have the power to do so. I just love that verse because they're saying, he's kind of saying it's simple. They're doing all this. They just wake up every morning and carry out their plans because they have the power because we haven't been using it. We haven't been using our power. And so it's simply because it doesn't say they wake up in the morning and carry out their plans because they're skilled and highly, you know, they're a, an unpenetrable force and they're super violent and they don't have anything. There's, it's the only reason they advance their plan is because we've given them the power to do so. And I love, you know, we say around here, the enemy actually has no power. Demonic forces have no power. They just borrow our power. If we allow them if we hand over our power, then they use our power. So verse two, they see fields they want and take them. They see houses and they grab them up, which speaks to, again, this is the evil has just been allowed to run rampant. And now we've got to a point where it's kind of coming to, you know, it can't be hidden anymore. And so, and it's like, it's, he's saying like, they see a field, they take it. They want it, they take it. They see houses, they just grab them. They persecute each landowner taking all that belongs to him, including his freedom and his children's inheritance. 
Now remember, I did not go searching for this. I didn't go searching. I can't say I've ever been prompted to go read Micah, honestly. <laughs> Until yesterday when I was reading Matthew. I was not searching for this. This is a Holy Spirit-led reading of this word and saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is saying, this is relevant right now. Including his freedom and his children's inheritance. Numerous examples being exposed in the world right now of how that's happening, right? But there is, um, I'm going to come back to that, about the children's inheritance. So further down in verse 7, the eternal one says, when I speak, don't good things happen to the ones who uprightly follow my fair path? Good point, I say. Good point. I would say that's true. Good point. You know, sometimes he's the question master. I suppose a good question. He says in verse 8, but recently my people became their own enemy. That's what's happened, as I've said. We become our own enemy. My people have become their own enemy. You strip the mantles off the clothes of those just passing through, those who thought themselves safe, those who are opposed to war. Now, to me, this speaks to people who might be people in this house. It might be us. But we're not focused on the things of the enemy too much, so um, we may not even know. But there are people in the world who are actually just pure-hearted, loving, God-fearing people who are trying to speak, who think they're safe, and they're walking around in a world that are, they aren't awake to what's going on in the world. And they, will, they are attacked. They are brought down. They are canceled because they are unaware of what's happening in the world. They are unaware that they, they aren't safe because they aren't surrounded by people who are operating in the power of God. They aren't surrounded by people who are spirit-led and all of that. So the world quickly becomes, we become the enemy of ourselves, right, by stripping the mantles off of those who just happen to be passing through. And they're like, well, why are you being so mean? I was just minding my own business. Verse 9, you drive the women of my people from the homes they love. You steal my glory from their young children. That really, really struck me. You steal my glory from their young children. Now, I think everybody in here knows that a child innocently, will they adore God. You know, I think, of, I don't remember if Tisa sent this out or not, but she sent me something about, um, there was a quote, Randall Worley, I think, quoted someone else, I can't remember, and he's, there was a story about a little girl and her parents had a, a new baby boy, and the little girl, like three years old or so, wanted to speak to the baby alone, and so the parents finally conceded and let the, ba- let the little girl go and talk to the baby. But they were peeking through the window so they could hear, it's going to make me cry, hear what she said. And she said, baby, what does God sound like? I'm starting to forget. And so I believe, and I think the evidence is clear, that children come to this planet loving God, adoring him. They want his voice. They know his voice that gets tarnished and lost. That is, his glory is being stolen from them. And that's what happens in a culture where evil is allowed to, to dominate on these mountains and influence us. That is the cost, the, the price that we're paying. That's the price that we are paying by not taking up our authority and operating it, by not being a house of bread. 
that's what's happening. Our young children are innocent and they love God and they adore God and it's stolen from them by the influences of the culture they're raised in. That is a big deal. And honestly, about 90%, I would say, if not more, of every problem we have on this planet would be solved if that was solved right there. It's a big deal, and it has to be our why. It needs to be our why. Verse 10 says, get up and go. This is no place for you to rest, because when something is contaminated with evil, it destroys people painfully incompletely. And I felt like the Holy Spirit here was saying, again, this is a a saying, do not rest in the ways of the world. You may have been raised in it like I was, just raised to know the comforts of the world. If you need refreshing, you knew how to go and get it. And it wasn't godly. It wasn't from him. And, And I'm not talking about just the really obvious stuff, but the subtle stuff. You know, the really, really subtle, low-lying stuff that people would even call good, you know. But if you're getting your rest from things of this world, that are from an, a culture that has been um, poisoned, then this is no place for you to rest. And so I feel like God is saying, again, like I just hope that every point that he's making through this word today, that you will take it with a greater weight. It's This is a significant time, and we have got to increase the weightiness of these teachings that we have and let them dramatically affect us, not just be a nice little nugget, a feel-good message, but we've got to to, to allow it, like T- and Pam's message, um, develop our fruit, affect the fruit that we're, that we're developing. It's got to go deep, and we've got to take it seriously. The world is no place for you to rest. The worldly culture that has been influenced by evil is no place for you to rest. Do not run to it. If you're finding your rest there, get out of that place. That is not going to be restore you. That is not going to refresh you. Get up and go is what he's saying. Get up and go. This is no place for you to rest. Because when something is contaminated with evil, this is in the word. This is in scripture. Do you understand this? When something is contaminated with evil, it destroys people painfully and completely. And a lot of us know this from personal experience. I I turned 50 today, but I was 39, almost 40, when I first started coming to One Life. And I had been painfully destroyed, painfully destroyed. And it was just still ongoing. And that's not that old. 39? Years old is not that long to be on this planet and to feel destroyed already. And I know so many of you can relate to that. And there are people out there living in that moment, experiencing that right now. That is their reality. And they need us to be a house of bread. They need us to take a stand for this truth and start shifting the tide and make We need to be the people to fight for them. We need to be the people to fight for their freedom. Because when something is contaminated with evil, it destroys people painfully and completely. That's going on in our world right now. People are being destroyed painfully and completely. Now I'm going to hop over to the next chapter, Micah 3. First verse, listen to what I say. Is it obvious enough yet? I mean, it's not me. I'm saying the Holy Spirit saying, listen to what I say. You leaders... You leaders, you leaders of Jacob who judge, you rulers of the people of Israel, whether we are actually ruling on the mountains or not, you're still a ruler. You might just be a backseat ruler, 
who's not getting up and gone yet, but you're still a ruler. You're a leader. You rulers of the people of Israel who sit in the city gates, shouldn't you know what justice is? Question, Master. Shouldn't you know what justice is? Do we know what justice is? Or do we only have the world's interpretation of justice because that's all we've ever seen and all we've ever known? Do we know what God's justice is? I venture to say, even in this house, with such excellent, incredible leadership and guidance and all of that, I think that we are kind of glazy-eyed about it. I don't think we know what his justice looks like very well. I think that we need to be convicted by this question. Shouldn't you know what justice is? If you are a ruler for the kingdom of God, if you're a leader in the kingdom of God, if you're someone who's going to advance the kingdom of God, shouldn't you know what God's justice looks like? And I'm not talking, obviously, I should say, this may not be obvious for everyone, I'm not talking about Old Testament justice. You, that's uh, over. That's not true for today because Jesus has already come onto the scene. So what does Jesus' justice look like? That's what we've got to figure out. New Testament justice. And I hope everybody in here knows, everybody hearing this message knows that you don't take things literally in Scripture, okay? So it doesn't mean go find some story of justice in there and think, well, that's what we have to do and just run out and apply that to everybody, okay? We've got to really seek the heart of God, really seek Him and know what does your justice look like? Verse 2 says, shouldn't you know what justice is, yet you hate what is good and love evil? That needs to be convicting to us. I'm going to jump back over here to my notes. So, yeah, just a little bit further down in, uh, in verse 8 in, in Micah 3. He's listed off all these things that are going to happen, saying the sun will go down on these, these so-called prophets, and it will be a dark night, too dark for you who lack vision, and it will be darkness for you who cannot divine. All of that could be applied, too, to those who are not seeking God's justice, not seeking justice according to the heart of Jesus, but are operating in re the religion, religious spirit or a spirit of humanism. Verse 8 says, but that is not the case with me. I am filled with power, with the spirit of the eternal one, with God's justice and might. That needs to be our declaration. This is all going on in the world. We see it, and it's out there, and it's shoved in our faces all the time, but that's not the case with me. We need to differentiate ourselves and say, that is not the case with me. I am filled with power, with the spirit of the eternal one, with God's justice and might. And with that, the verse says to accuse Jacob of his crimes and the daughter of Israel of her wrongdoing. That's speaking to this speaking, to, uh, addressing culture, confronting things in culture. I am filled with power, with the spirit of the eternal one, with God's justice and might. That has got to be a declaration for us. So many good declarations in scripture, if you didn't know. It's filled with them. And so I wrote um, a few things here. The difference between present day in these times, now I'm, I'm saying this to say that in Micah, the Lord is talking, this is Old Testament justice. So Micah, so there's a correlation between what was going on in the culture then and the correlation with what's going on now in our culture, but the solution is different, 
Okay. If you just go and read Micah, it might be kind of scary because God's talking about bringing all this harm and he's going to put you in, you know, all this stuff. That's not applicable to today again, because Jesus came. Okay. So there is a new solution and God is speaking his solution through prophetic words like this today and like all the words coming through this house and so many other prophets. This is the solution. Being a house of bread, Jesus emerging through us is the solution, not what that's what it says um, that God was doing back in that time. This is not a call to judge or bring justice through violence or hatred. This is a call to take a stand for what is right, to take a stand for justice according to to the heart of God in the way that Jesus himself demonstrated. The world has primarily seen harsh judgment and hatred rather than love from the body of Christ. And we've got to realize that. We've got to be acutely aware of that. So that's why so many people consider the Christians that are standing up now a threat. They call us racists and they call us all these other things as if we're talking about doing something hateful, as if we're talking about oppressing people or harming people, but that's not what we mean. That's not what I mean. That's not what this house means. And so we've got to know when we're even communicating with people in the world and in our community that there is a lack of awareness of how much love is supposed to be in the lead with anything the body of Christ does. And so we we need to know uh, what we're working with, you know, what the status of things is in this present day. The religious spirit has done incredible, incredible harm. It's given God such a bad name. It's given Christians such a horrible name. I've heard one person say that it was about the the most persecuted community that you could say you're a part of now is to say you're a Christian. People are bad-mouthing it all over the world. Good people, good people, good loving people who want to do right and raise their families healthy are saying that Christians are ugly and hateful and horrible people because of what the religious spirit has painted. And so we've got to realize that this is a new generation rising up who has got to know what justice looks like in Jesus' eyes with love at the forefront. Everything gets reinterpreted when you have love as the priority. Love is the spearhead of all justice that is, needs to be brought in this world. And we must realize that the world, so much of the world has no concept. They have no concept of it. They've never seen it. They have no concept of it. No ability to perceive what this would look like with when it's done with love. And so here the Holy Spirit reminded me that, you know, our July focus was about aligning with the with God's power. And I think there's been a little banner at the bottom of our slide about this statement I heard in a dream um, that love is a tool, not a toy. And that was pretty much the whole dream. Love is a tool, not a toy. Love is a tool, not a toy. So this whole time I've kind of been like, well, I think I know what you mean, but do I? I don't know. You know, so I've been kind of asking the Holy Spirit and I felt like this is what, this is what he's talking about. Love has to be utilized as a tool when we're going out into the world to bring justice, to, to stand for truth and to, to fight for people's freedom. It cannot be done without love. Not only will it not succeed, but it will do harm to the cause, right? It will do harm. So love is a tool, not a toy. So I asked him more about that yesterday, and this is what I heard. I wrote that it seems as though the body of Christ has been moving towards the recognition of God's love, 
the love of the father in the father's heart for his children, right? I mean, I would sound seems to me that's been a fairly new thing over the past few decades that the awareness of and the priority and the teaching of the heart of the father and that for his children has is a fairly new thing. And so um, we've been moving towards recognizing that. And this was a necessary step. But I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that this love we've now become aware of is not just a toy for us to entertain ourselves with in the comforts of home. It's, it's not just to heal us. It's not just to make us feel safe. He does all of that. And we are nurtured by his love and we cannot live without it. It is 100% necessary, but it's not meant to stop there. It's not meant to end there. Love is not, that's not all that love does is restore us. And so it's not meant to be just a toy that you have at your house and you entertain yourself with. It's meant to be used as a tool. It's meant to be functional. It's meant to actually impact the world. It's meant to actually impact our communities and, and all of the things that we're talking about today. So I think that's what it means. Love is a tool, not a toy. I propose his justice, his justice brings the reality of the kingdom of God to the forefront in people's own hearts and minds where they are, they are able to perceive it as a place to establish their own home and very existence on this earth. That's what his justice does. You know, in Romans 14, it talks about what the kingdom of God is, and it says when God reigns, the order of the day is redeeming justice, true peace, and joy made possible by the Holy Spirit. So when we say, talk about the kingdom advancing and being willing to go to war for the kingdom advancing, that's what we're aiming for is to bring people into a place where love, respect, and peace are the norms. Again, we've got, I just can tell in my spirit, there's something we haven't, we've maybe touched on it, but we haven't wrapped our minds around it. We've limited what that really means. And so we need to press in and answer that question. Shouldn't you as leaders know what justice looks like? Shouldn't you know what it looks like? It looks like love, respect, and peace are the norms. It looks like when that's the order of the day, Now, in uh, continuing on in uh, jumping over to Micah 4, next chapter, right? It all, it's all spelled it out here for me. It's spelled it all out. In the last hopeful days that are coming, this is verse 1, the temple mountain of the eternal one will tower over all the other mountains. The mountain of God, the mountain of the eternal one will be bigger and tower over all the other mountains. I'm just telling you, if you don't believe me, it's just been decided. Okay, God decided it. It's going to happen. That's just, that's already, it's been prophesied. It's been written about for more years than we can imagine. It's going to happen, and it's happening now. Okay, so that's what is happening. The temple mountain of the eternal one will tower over all the other mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and people will flow up it like rivers. People will flow up it like rivers. The nations of the world will say, come, let's go up, everyone, to the mountain of the eternal one, to the house of the God of Jacob, so he can teach us his ways and we can follow in his 
footsteps. For God's law will march out of Zion, the eternal's word from Jerusalem. So in here, oh, in the next verse, sorry, verse 3. He will judge between many people and arbitrate disputes between long or strong, faraway nations. Nations represent people in Scripture. People are going to be flowing up the mountain of God and saying, come, let's, let him teach us. Let him settle our disputes. Let, let's bring our problems to him. Let's see you know, how we can solve this according to his justice. That's what it's saying. He will judge between many people and arbitrate disputes. So who is he? If you go back to the beginning verse that started this today, of course, it was Jesus. This was a prophecy in Micah's time of Jesus being born in Bethlehem and coming, and he would be established in that. But what did we say? It's us now. It's us. It has to come through us. We are the body of Christ. We are the little Bethlehem. We are the ones not insignificant for this purposes. So we are the ones that will teach them. We are meant to be the ones. The house of bread is meant to be the ones who will teach them to walk in his footsteps. We will, t- we will be the ones that can judge between people and arbitrate disputes. We are the ones who get in the mess with people and say, hey, we can help you with that. Let us help you, help you figure out that thing where you're infighting with each other. We are meant to be that solution. That's what we are meant to be. The rest of verse 3 says that they will hammer their swords into plow blades, their spears into pruning hooks. One nation will not attack another, and they will give up war training and maneuvers. They will hammer their swords into plow blades and spears into pruning hooks. One nation will not attack another. They will give up war training and maneuvers. Again, we've got to get it through our heads. Really, you've got to get it through our heads that this is 100% applicable to us right now. Just because we aren't in the streets or sending our sons off to fight with swords and spears or machine guns does not mean that we are not at war. We live in a culture whose mindset is war. I'm telling you, I can just see it so clearly. Our culture has created every single person lives with some measure of a warlike mindset. We are taught it from the times we are are so young. I wrote that we must come to see that in our culture, we have been trained to war with each other. With each other. It's not against a common enemy. We've been warring with each other instead of warring against the evil agendas that are trying to be advanced on the world. We've been infighting. We've been fighting against flesh and blood instead of fighting on the spiritual realm of where it really matters. We have been trained to have maneuvers. What does that sound like? Maneuvers. It's another M word. Manipulation. We've been trained to manipulate our way through life as if we can only advance in life by seeing others as being against us rather than for us. I mean, does that not ring true? That's how I was taught. You better watch out. Other people are not going to have your back. It's you or them. There's only one piece of pie. You better fight to get it, you know? And, that, and that's so normal. We don't even call it anything. We don't even call it anything. We don't say, man, that warlike mindset's really rising up in me today. 
We just say, yeah, that makes sense. Of course. Of course. It's just normal. It's normal in our culture because we have to look at the big picture. Like we said, our culture has been influenced. It's created an environment where this is our normal. We don't even know that we're swimming in it. We don't even know that we're living it and breathing it and perpetuating it. We don't know that we're teaching our own children to do it. We are taught to look out for number one. We are taught to be wolves instead of sheep. In today's culture, if you look at it, being streetwise is more admirable than being Godwise. Those are the cool people. They are the, the, they're the cool people. Being streetwise, you're, you're really up there. I mean, you know, if you're streetwise, Godwise, no. Nobody talks about that. Our movie heroes, think about your movie heroes, are cunning and conniving quick change artists and pickpockets. I know this happened with my own son when I was raising him. I'm just looking for a decent TV show to watch, and it's kind of a cool, fun little story, and you kind of get to like the guy. But really, his whole thing was about being a master manipulator, a master of disguise, master manipulator, master um, of a, this cunning spirit, you know, to be a pickpocket and be able to transform and, and manipulate people to have things. And that was a quality TV show in my mind because at least it didn't have too much cussing and sex and blatant violence. But you know, but this is who is elevated. And of course the guy's like super good looking. And so I'm like, yeah, we can watch this. You know, I mean, that's finally, it's better than, you know, Elmo or whatever we used to watch. I'm just glad to be out of those children's movies and we could share something together, you know? And they had a good heart, you know, they had a good, they had a good heart. They really had a good heart, but their, their power and what was being exalted in the show was being a wolf to other sheep. And we've got, we've got to recognize those things are all around us. And we, like I said, for all the reasons I just gave, we just say, sure, that's great. We may not be fighting in the streets with swords and spears every day, but we live in a culture so accustomed to a warlike state of mind that you're called a cult if you choose devotion to a culture of honor and love. That's the only reason people are saying that. We're the weirdos because it's so predominant to be a wolf instead of a sheep. The way of the world in today's culture is you better be a wolf. If you're a sheep, then you're just weird. You're, you're weird and you're in a cult and you've been brainwashed and you're deceived and all those things if you just decide to value honor and love in a culture you decide to choose that for your children we're only called that because because the other thing has become so normal do you get it so going on to verse four when this happens okay when god does all that he says that through us that we teach people his ways, that people flow up the mountain of God to come and be taught to follow in his footsteps. And when we begin to be the judge between peoples and help them arbitrate disputes among them, amongst themselves, when we bring that peace, love, honor, and respect into their homes and to their communities, and we make that a priority and we're willing to go to war for it in the spirit realm, then this is what it says will happen. In verse 4, they will each sit under their own vines and fig trees, and no one will make them afraid again. Is that not good? 
No one will make them afraid again. It doesn't matter what your personality type is or what your background is. Fear has plagued every single person alive on the planet at this point. Fear has plagued them. Just think how transformative that one thing would be in our whole world if no one could make us afraid again. Wow. Wow. And now this is my, one of my favorite parts. No one will make them afraid again because the eternal commander of heavenly ar- armies has ordered it so. It's that simple. He decided, as I said, he has decided for this to take place on earth right now. It's, he's just ordered it. He ordered it. In the, that same verse in the message, it says, each man will sit under his own shade tree and each woman in safety will tend her own garden. Garden inside, right? God of the angel armies says so, and he means what he says. That's the message version. He says so, and he means what he says. So we don't need to debate amongst ourselves about whether it's going to happen. It's happening. Now, I got another little key from him at this process because, at this point, because in the message it mentions shade tree. So in the voice, it talks about sitting under their own vines and fig trees. In the message, it uses the terminology of shade tree. And it occurred to me, this linked to me to one of my favorite verses in a song of songs that I've meditated on and I've memorized, and it just is delicious to me. And so the shade tree points to the growth and development and nurturing available to us when we are positioned under his canopy of love. So I just want to flush that out with you for a minute. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, says that the, the um, Shulamite, you know, the bride, is uh, bridesmaid is speaking, and she says, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love. Shade tree, shadow, right? I'm overshadowed by his love, like a lily growing in the valley. And the shepherd king says, yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the thorns surround you, you remain as pure as a lily, more than all the others. That's a picture of someone who lives in a world that has still been influenced by culture. But when you're overshadowed by his love, you remain pure. You remain in a state where, where you can be called his darling companion. So although the thorns are all around you, you remain as pure as a lily. And the Shulamite in verse 3 says, My beloved, speaking of Jesus, is to me the most fragrant apple tree. He stands above the sons of men, always exalted, He is always exalted. Just picture that. He's always the tallest guy in the room. He's always the biggest, baddest, tallest guy in the room. He always stands above the sons of men. Sitting under his grace shadow, I blossom in his shade, enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit, resting with delight where his glory never fades. This is what we're fighting for. This is what justice looks like. This is what justice looks like for God's children. When they are overshadowed by his love, when they are able to find rest, not in the things of the world, but they're resting in delight where his glory never fades. 
under his grace shadow. They're living with the awareness that all of grace affords them, and they are allowed to blossom under that shade. They're allowed to be healed and nurtured and develop the way God always intended them to, and they uh, enjoy the sweet taste of his delicious fruit, and they find rest there where his glory never fades. That is what we're fighting for people to have. That is what justice looks like. It doesn't look like some violent thing against people where we want this should be happening. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This verse, Song of Songs 2 verses 1 through 3 is a picture of what we should be fighting for. I wrote that this is the position we want to prioritize in our own lives. We've got to make sure we stay right there overshadowed by his love, overshadowed by his grace, where we are blooming and blossoming. We are enjoying his fruit. We're making sure to feast on it regularly instead of the things of the world. And we find our rest in his glory with a full awareness that it never fades. We want to prioritize this in our lives and in the culture around us. This is the position our families must be in. Our families where God's glory is not stolen from our children. Do you understand that? That speaks to that same verse. His glory never fades there. And the other scripture in Micah, it's his glory is robbed from children. It's stolen from his children. So here, overshadowed by love, sitting under his grace shadow, that's where his glory never fades. That means it's never stolen. So that's what we need to be defending, to be fighting for this position. This is the position of rest rather than in a corrupted worldly culture. This is where the kingdom of God advances and is established on earth. This is the place our stand for justice must be willing to fight for on behalf of the hurting and lost in the world. This is the promised land under the shade tree where we must be willing to face the giants and call them our bread. Now, this reminds me of a point that I wanted to make on Wednesday that I, I guess the Holy Spirit wanted me to wait till now because I forgot then. But um, I, in a dream I had not too long ago, there was this um, person who was willing to take the place of someone else who was, was being going to be tormented. Let's just call it that, okay? They were willing to take the place. And if you remember, there was a point in that word from Wednesday that talked about we must be a body willing to be broken, and so as the body of Christ, again, part of this, of what Jesus did was he was willing to be broken for us. And so there may be a cost that we are asked to pay. You know, I think about this in Hollywood right now in the movie industry. There are lots of actors and people who are thankfully taking a stand and they are losing their, you know, they won't get booked for chosen for movies and stuff anymore. That is a price they're paying. That is a cost that is a brokenness that they're willing to endure for the cause. And that may be a, a real reality. And so not only as this isn't just a question of do we know what justice looks like and are we willing to stand for it, but are you willing to even sacrifice something of yourself for it? Are you willing to really go the distance for that cause? And I, we need that answer to be yes. We need to be willing to set to to take a back seat, to take a, I don't know, whatever that may look like. Because again, it's the warlike state of mind that trained us to think, well, don't let, don't lose any ground yourself while helping other people. You know, I'm going to help you as long as it doesn't actually cost me because I've worked hard to get where I am. 
that mentality is part of that warlike mentality. What we want to be positioned to be telling people to turn those, to lay down their war training. We have to be willing to lay down our war training in the process. And so in verse, the next verse, I mean, it's just so cool how it's all spelled out. It says, all people, all people move ahead in the name of their own gods. That's a reality. As I said, they move ahead in the name of their own gods. You're either serving the God or you're serving the little G gods, but you're going to move ahead according to what you call God, according to who you exalt as God in your life. And that's how you move ahead. All people move ahead in the name of their own gods, whatever they are. But we move ahead in the name of the eternal, our true God, forever and ever. We've got to be committed to that. That is how we move ahead. And whatever, when we're making decisions about how to navigate some of those things, we've got to remember that we only move ahead when he says move ahead in that way. We don't switch gears and start operating out of our logic or our worldly training. We move ahead in the name of God, in the name of the eternal, our true God. In verse 6, in that day, so when we do our part, when we operate as the house of bread, in that day of hope, I will gather the lame, bring together all those who have been driven away and those who have been injured. From those who were lame, I will create a remnant. And from those who were cast off, I will create a strong nation. And the eternal will reign over them in Mount Zion now and forevermore. Most of us in here, that's us, right? We were lame and he's created a remnant in this house. And he's saying, this is our chance to then do that for other people. We don't just stop when we've been healed, but we advance the kingdom of God by allowing others to come in and to receive that same healing. Those who are lame, those who have been cast off, and he will then make them a remnant. And that's how the kingdom of God advances. Verse 8, it says, Into you, the tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion, your former authority will be returned to you. The royal authority of the daughter of Jerusalem. We have to recognize again. I mean, the verses are telling their own story for when my and Micah's time, but for us today, that's the next verse, right? It's saying your former authority has been returned to you because this was pre-Jesus. But now we're post-Jesus, so our former authority has been returned to you, and it's a royal authority. We have a royal authority. And when we use it, we get to tell others of the return, the promise for the return of their royal authority. And so all of that brings us back to Micah 5, which was quoted in Matthew. You, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah. For out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people Israel. So it's the childlike heart. Little Bethlehem is the childlike heart, is a giant in the spirit. We are not insignificant. And we are called to be a house of bread, a house of fighters. And I pray that we will really make this a, a, not a motto, but a, a creed or whatever you want to call it, you know, within you that this is your why. This is your why. And no matter where you are, how close you, th- you are to thinking that you're doing that, you're doing it. That's the beauty of it. So you can adopt it. You don't have to wait to adopt it to be yours because you're doing it if you're on this journey with him. 
And so um, one thing I want to wrap up with, I think I would call this as an example. I think Tisa, you know, said at the beginning that this was sort of a demonstration of the prophetic, of the gift of prophecy. And so I wanted to share with you and close on this word that I wrote back in May. And I wrote this in the middle of a battle. And so I really feel like we need to, again, it goes along with the word that I read on Wednesday, that the battle is not bad. The battle doesn't mean you're failing. The battle doesn't mean you missed it or that you're, you know, you're just never going to get there. It doesn't mean any of those lies. It actually means you're doing it. You're doing it. So um, this was, I think we need to accept the reality that there are going to be days like that. There are going to be moments. Torment is a real spirit that tries to come and influence you. And if it's influencing you, it's trying to influence other people. And if it's influencing other people, then that's when we need to be taking a stand. As I said on Wednesday, we need to be willing to say in the comfort of our own home, in our own room, whether we think it's we have any um, knowledge in the natural of how relevant it is, that spirit that is trying to torment us, then we say what David said, how dare you taunt the armies of the living God? How dare you taunt the armies? Fear, how dare you try to torment the armies of God? And then you take them down. And what you proclaim, even there over yourself, you proclaim it in the spirit, and that gives authority to the armies of heaven and the spiritual realm to go on to fight on behalf of the truth, of the overcoming truth of God over that spirit. And so I wanted to go ahead and read this. Um, I have, I've never read it, I don't think, here before, but this is a prophetic word that I feel like is an example of what Micah did in, in uh, the Old Testament times where God was saying, okay, this was, this was early on before Jesus. I didn't study it out to see how many years before Jesus came, but this was early on. So there was a lot that happened before Jesus came, but God decreed something and he said, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is what I'm doing and this is what it's going to look like and this is what's going to be the end result. So this is my version of that for right now, okay? I'll take a sip of water real quick. Papa said, I am coming to silence the peace killers. I will not only shut the mouths of the lion, I will wipe the sound of their evil roars from the history of mankind. What ravaged the hearts and minds of my people in the past will be eradicated from their reality. I will no longer tolerate the damage being done to my children. I will vindicate them all. I will raise up a fire in them that will not be ignored. I will release righteous indignation within them and arm them with a sword. They will wield redemption and repayment from past harms. They will right what has been wrong and, and allowed to go on. I will no longer wait for evil to turn from its ways. I will shred the sound of their threats. I will shred the sound of their threats. I will demolish their strongholds of evil. I will pulverize the ground they stand upon, and they will sink into an abyss of their own making. Peace will be protected. Peace will be held in high esteem. Peace will be guarded and promoted. Peace will be elevated above the priorities of commerce and economy. Peace is a person, and his name will be exalted over all things. Peace will be on the forefront of all of mankind's endeavors, leading the way and proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
There is no more room for chaos to reign. I will demolish chaos, shattering it into a billion pieces. Chaos will no longer be wielded by those wishing to further their own kingdom. Chaos will burn the hand that tries to wield it. It will burn with the heat of its origin and will immediately mark those who've tried to reach for it. Peace will reign in this land. Peace will flow freely in its streets. Peace will sing its chorus of praise and joy and salvation from the tops of the mountains. Its sound will travel through every valley proclaiming the righteousness of the king. Peace will reign. Peace will no longer be put in second place. Peace will reign, holding the highest place. Peace will shine with the light of the king, proclaiming hope and freedom for all to see. So we can adopt that. God's made up his mind. That's what he said. And he's going to do it. Just like it said in the, in the verses there in Micah. So this next part was my response to hearing that. Okay. And it's just kind of an example of, of the, um, what's the word? Aggressive. Like you got to be like, you got to, I'm like she said, I'm childlike. I'm bride-like. Huh? Moxie, moxie, like you got to be able to fight from the gut, you know, like you got to get fierce with it. You got to be aggressive and be willing to get like guttural, you know, like, Ugh! you got to really be, it's not even my thing. I'm not even like a battle ready prayer person, but you've got, everybody needs to be this way. And so this is my, my, what I wrote to express that. And you've got to say that to yourself to build yourself up sometime. And so you can just adopt this for yourself if you want to. Okay. This is the kind of moxie you need in these moments of spiritual warfare. Now, that being said, you can do the childlike version too. There's just a time and a place for all of it. But we've got to be willing to take a stand. You've got to remember that this is in you. This is in you to do. So I said in the middle of my battle, I said, I exalt you, King Jesus. You rule and reign over this earth, over this atmosphere. You rule and reign above all. I declare that you reign above the snarling, scathing snake trying to sneak its way into the hearts and minds of God's people. You may not enter this gate. You may not enter this gate. I declare you defeated. You have already suffered the humiliating defeat of all time. You have already been sent to the abyss. You are already forever sentenced to spend eternity in hell. Your place is under my foot. Your place is so far below the throne of God, yet you attempt to gain his worship. How dare you try to rise above him in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives? How dare you attempt to rise at all? You have already suffered the humiliation of eternal defeat. You have been overtaken, overthrown, overcome. You are over. You are finished. Jesus declared it from the cross, and I declare it today once again. You won't stop me from declaring it either. You will not stop my praise. You will not stop my declaration of his glory. You will not trap me or tempt me with your foul ideas. Your ideas are putrid forever tainted with the smell of death, I will never partner with your foul existence. There is one forever exalted above you who will have my attention and my dedication for eternity. You 
cannot escape his glory. You are sentenced to forever smell it, see it, and hear it. You will live forever separated from his glory, but it will always be within your awareness. You cannot escape its constant reminder. The glory of God flows over every mountaintop. It flows without end through every valley. I didn't even realize that this was in the Word. I wrote this in May. I didn't read this till yesterday. But, yeah. It flows without end through every valley. The glory of God pulses through my veins. You cannot separate me from Him. The glory of God flows through my veins. Every breath I take is filled with His own breath. You cannot separate me from it. The very essence of Jesus' body and blood flows through me, in my body, in my heart, and in my mind today. You cannot separate me from it. Adonai, Yahweh, Elohim are forever exalted and carried on my lips in my breath. I hear the resounding trumpets of adoration in my ears every day. I hear heaven rejoicing for this King of Kings. I hear heaven proclaiming His glory. I feel all of creation bowing in His presence. His exaltation is known by me and felt by me. I live with the tangible experience of His kingship flowing constantly in me. Yes, a childlike heart is a giant in the spirit. A childlike heart is a giant in the spirit, and that's what it looks like. Thank you, Papa. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. So good. Oh, Papa, we just thank you today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your incredible teaching. Thank you that you are the teaching us that we have come running up your mountain of goodness. And we say, teach us, teach us your ways so we can walk in your footsteps of righteousness. And I thank you for doing just that. I thank you for emboldening us, for lighting a fire within us in a brand new way, for giving us courage and, and a fire inside. You said you would light a fire inside those who have been wronged, who have been harmed, those who were once lame but are now restored and redeemed. And so we thank you for the fire, Papa. We thank you for the fire, Holy Spirit. We thank you for the fire, Jesus. May it burn ever brighter today and from this day forward. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Papa God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would seal up this message today, that you would seal it in the hearts and minds of every single person, that you would wrap it around their soul so that their soul is constantly aware of its of your tangible presence and that they would every soul would know to say put my spirit in the lead because my spirit knows you perfectly well and it hears you perfectly well i pray that you would make this personal for each person hearing this message that you would make it a personal intimate word where they won't know what was actually said and what they're hearing in their own hearts and minds because it's so intensely personal give them dreams give them visions put it on billboards and conversations whatever you can do we just love you, Papa. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.